I've been training my whole life for this. wherever or whoever you are or wherever you may be i should say uh thanks for joining us for another episode of discussing who uh per usual we have my uh co-host here who's here all the time he's usually running the show cal how are you doing hey how's it you're, going you're my steven moffat that's what you are ah okay well i guess <laughs> i'll take that yeah, man, it's good to be on with you again. Uh, we don't have uh, we don't have Lee with us, but I will say uh, if you're interested in the relatively Re- relativity podcast, which Lee runs, you should definitely go to relativitypodcast.com and check it out, as well as supporting his Patreon that he just launched. So if you want new episodes of that, you should definitely dig in and, and take a look at his Patreon and, and support him if you want to if you want to hear more episodes of the show. It's really a great show, so you should check it out. Cool, because I th- I know uh, I think I speak for both of us in saying we want to know more because he left us on a cliffhanger. Yeah, talk about cliffhangers, man. So today we have joining us. Uh, well, first let me say we're going to be discussing Iron Fist today. So I brought on brought on another comic book guru, uh, longtime friend, Andy Sims. Andy, how are you doing, man? Oh, man, I'm I'm doing really well and looking forward to talking about Iron Fist. Yeah, man, uh, it, it hasn't been in the good graces. Uh, <laughs> it's been kind of a rough uh, release for it uh, on Netflix. And man, I just I was not expecting all the negative criticism that it got. And I know we'll dig off into it a little bit. But yeah, man, it's it's been kind of rough release for him. <laughs> yeah, the, the critics have not been kind. Yeah, uh, let's. Uh, does anybody have any news? Did anything happen over the past week that anybody wants to talk about? Anything comic related or anything else that you might have on your mind? They they did release that sweet IMAX poster for Guardians of the Galaxy two. That oh, I didn't very, see that. Very no, neon, seen it very retro. It looks pretty cool. Yeah, man, I can't be more excited for that movie, man. It's just, I love the first one so much. Uh, like my brother likes likes to say, it was pretty much unexpected. I mean, most people don't know anything about or didn't know anything about the Guardian of the Galaxies before it came out. And it just came out and people just like locked on, latched on to it. And man, it, it was a sleeper hit <laughs> for Marvel. You know, and I think considering the fact of, Having baby Groot again. I mean, not again, but having. Well, yeah, because he was baby at the end. I, I have a yeah. feeling uh, the volume two is just everybody's going to want a baby Groot. Yeah, they, they're definitely pushing the toy market in there. 
So, Andy, let yeah. me ask you. Let me ask you a question, if you don't mind. Before, well, sure. well, you know what? Hold that. I'm going to hold that question. Uh, I, I want to ask about something else that got released this weekend. Justice League uh, trailer. Have you guys seen it? I have. Hmm. I'll let you go first. Yeah, Andy. go for it. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. So. There's going to be action in this movie, and they apparently want you to know that because <laughs> the, the the trailer is full of like action shots of like the Flash running around or Aquaman standing half naked in water and uh, <laughs> Batman riding around on a horse. I don't. I have. I have to honestly say, I'm I'm super salty at DC. At this point, they've got to do more than make a cool trailer because that first convention trailer for Batman versus Superman was like, oh my God, this is going to be like a great <laughs> movie. And uh, it wasn't. It, it turned out that it was not. So I don't know what to believe anymore. It, it, it definitely seems like they're going in the less brooding type atmosphere for this one. You know, you had Aquaman riding on the Batmobile and, and jumping out and doing something. I don't know. I thought he's supposed to stay in the water. But anyway, um, yeah, it's it's um, I don't know, man. The trailer got me really, really excited. I'm going to say cautiously optimistic, but man, I, I don't know if they make it a little bit of a well, a lot of bit of a lighter tone from B, Batman v, v Superman. And I, I don't know if I can really just pinpoint besides the darkness of Batman v Superman as a problem. You know, of course, there were a few problems in the story as well. But, you know, I just hope they can write the ship, man, because I think the DC properties deserve as much respect as the Marvel stuff does. And what about you, Cal? Well, I was purposely being quiet. For two reasons. Number one, I wanted to hear what both of you guys said before, you know, I even made a, a comment, but so that I could insert a corny joke when we started talking about Batman's uh, versus Superman, I got so bored I went to sleep. But, um, <laughs> but having said that, I agree with what Andy just said. But, but Clarence, you made a comment of saying, you know, that you were excited for it and you said the darkness of Batman versus Superman. I don't remember seeing anything that bright and that much more optimistic in this movie that's, uh, you know, the trailer that you... So so answer this. What did you see that was bright and optimistic about what you saw yesterday or whenever you saw the trailer? Oh, uh, man. I'm trying to remember specifics, but I particularly remember The Flash, uh, which we got that scene a while back. And, you know, I think he's going to be a bright point to the film, maybe a slash kind of comic relief of the film. And I also think Aquaman could be a good... Because it seemed like he made one joke in the trailer. I can't remember. I need to go back and watch it. But the tone of those two guys seemed to give it a little uplifting um, sense that it, it that it does need, in my opinion, because it's just uh, the bat, <laughs> the Batman. <laughs> <laughs> and Poor I athlete. was worried. I was worried about the tone of the trailer as far as the darkness, because upon recollection, and I should have gone back and watched it before the show. I don't think there is a single bright shot of daylight in that. Entire <laughs> Agreed. Trailer. Agreed. No, I agree so with the you. Closest, yeah, the closest you get is the the opening intro where Bruce Wayne is in like this half light frozen area, oh. assumably going to find Arthur Curry. But yeah. that's it. Everything else is dark. 
Yeah, you might be right about that. <sighs> I don't know, man. I, I I guess I'm just a sucker. I'm just hoping it's going to be good, man. I'm just hoping oh, it's going to be good. You you and me both, man. I honestly, I'm I'm like Fox Mulder with these things. <laughs> I want to believe. <laughs> like all DC has to do is just give me something to reward my faith on these things cuz I love DC comics. Uh and I want to see you know, some of my favorite heroes do their thing on the screen. And and it is Zyder hel- helming this one, correct? Exactly. And, and Andy, let me ask you this. Do you think that sliver of daylight, that, that bright, shining moment that you're referring to, do you think that might be what we're going to get with Wonder Woman? All right, let me say this. I, <laughs> she, she was my favorite part about Batman versus Superman. Like, to me, she was she was the hero. She I don't know. There was just something about her few minutes in that movie that was like, man, I can't wait to see a Wonder Woman movie. So, yes, I hope I hope they've got Wonder Woman right, because not only is it a World War One period film, which I'll always be on board for, but <laughs> it has the potential to be a really good story. And the great thing is, since it's set in the past, it's not burdened by having to fit into some sort of modern DC universe canon. It can really do its own thing. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I was, I was thinking when I was watching the trailer yesterday, and I think we, Clarence, I think we've mentioned this before, actually, maybe when we did the review of Batman versus Superman, where I said something about her costume in Batman versus Superman was so dark, and, uh, you know, like the gold was more of a dirty bronze looking, whereas in this movie, even in the trailers that we've seen recently of the Wonder Woman movie, her costume looks so much brighter. And the, the whole tone, I mean, you can tell, same actress, you know, same character, of course. But the look that she has, even in the um, trailers that we've seen for Wonder Woman, it just seems so much more alive, so much brighter. And I think, again, that that's Snyder's vision of giving that dark element. and. Yeah. And, you know, Marvel seems to be the ones that should be the darker, more realistic, the grim and gritty. DC should be the bright, the, you know, the heroes to live up to. And I, I just, I, I, I want, you know, it's like what Andy said, I want to give this movie all it's due to say, be good. I, and I just hope it is. So which one are we getting first? Is it Wonder Woman first, then uh, Justice League a little later this this year? Yes. Yeah. Mm, yeah, they <laughs> they been hit it out the park, man. That's all I gotta say. Wow. Yeah, I think Wonder Woman is in June, and I think this one is in November, I believe. Something I think like so. that. Yeah. So uh, we also got a um, was it a new Spider Man image of him like laying on a bench? Um, yeah, it's the new poster. Yeah, in in the uh, glow of all of New York and the Avengers Tower in the background. Yeah, so Andy, I would just like to get your opinion real quick. We've kind of talked about it, but are you excited at all about the Spider-Man movie coming up? I I am super excited. 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 Like you know, little little five year old Andy still lives inside and comes out every time Spider-Man's in a movie. I I can't wait. I am super excited. I got into a conversation with somebody on Facebook that was like. 
why do we need another Spider-Man movie? And I'm like, why have you given up the will to live? <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, what if you if you can't get excited about having Spider-Man, especially the Tom Holland Spider-Man that we oh, yeah. saw in the war, oh, if yeah. that doesn't give you just a geeky sense of of happiness, like what else is there? You're you're a Grinch. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to it. You know, I agree. Um, it, you know, Spider-Man, I like Spider-Man from whenever I was a kid. He's never been one of my top build, um, you know, superheroes. But on the flip side, he is a character that every movie that he, there's been a Spider-Man movie, I've gone to see. You know, he's he he is, you know, a character that I absolutely like. So, And I, I think Tom Holland did a fantastic job. I still feel bad for... Um, and I can't remember his name. Yes, thank you. Um, you know, because I think the second Spider-Man movie in that, I, you know, that version was just overblown. And it wasn't, in my opinion, his fault that that, that movie was so congested. I think that's a good way to put it. So, Even, even before the movie came out, they were projecting all these Sinister Six spinoffs and things they're going to be producing and stuff. And they were kind of laying the groundwork for that in the last uh, Andrew Garfield movie. And unfortunately, it seems like we're kind of getting that again with this new iteration, which kind of wears me because I don't want them to count, you know, count the uh, count the chickens before they hatch kind of situation because there's talking about uh, what was it? I'm going blank here. The new Venom spinoff. Yeah, Venom, yeah, they were talking about a Venom movie and it seemed like it was another girl's focus spider-man spinoff they were talking about hmm. spider Gwen, yeah, maybe <laughs> uh, I, I need to look it up and i'll post a link in the show notes but yeah in any case i just think they're i, I don't want them to 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 say we're having this stuff coming out when we haven't even proven we ha- can make a good uh tom holland spider-man movie which i'm expecting it to be good marvel is putting i mean dc slash marvel are putting their hands into this version uh with sony so I, i'm hoping i'm hoping they can really make a good movie that will uh, re uh, <laughs> rejuvenate the Spider-Man fan base. All right, so let me ask this question to Andy, and uh, you know this will tie into what I was about to ask earlier. And you made a comment of saying that you went back to when you were five years old and thinking, okay, you know, Spider-Man, Spider-Man. Tell us a little bit and about how you got into comics and which comics are your favorite. <laughs> Okay, everybody mentally envision sepia-toned <laughs> 1980s. Uh, I grew up reading comic books. I mean, they had Spider-Man Golden books when I was little, so like I got in on the ground floor with Spider-Man and his amazing friends when Spider-Man and Iceman and uh, Fire... Firestar. Firestar. Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Iceman and Firestar. Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Yeah, Firestar all hung out in an apartment together that was somehow also a secret laboratory. Um, so I don't know. I've I've always loved comic books. I've been knee deep in it all all these years i worked at a comic book shop to kind of check mark that off of the nerd list of required <laughs> things to do 
um, <laughs> years ago. Um, some of my favorite stories. Uh, one of my favorite all-time Batman issues, and it's this weird thing I do. If I go to a comic book shop, I'll look for the issue, and if they have it, I'll buy a copy of it. It's Batman issue 430. Um, it's called Fatal Wish, and it's a single standalone issue drawn by uh, Jim Aparo, who's probably my favorite Batman artist of all times. And it's takes place not long after uh, Jason Todd had been killed by the Joker. A sniper goes into work one day, opens fire on his co-workers and people in the streets, and Batman shows up after they've blocked off the building and uh, he goes in and attempts to take this guy out, but not, you know, he's still worried about taking him out, but they're uh, interspersing that story with the night his parents died and how he had an argument with his father and never got to say he was sorry. And so it's tied into, you know, the rage of the sniper and Batman not wishing this guy harm or anything. He's just wanting to stop him. And unfortunately, at the end of the issue, the sniper gets shot and falls off the building. And there's this great kind of cathartic thing at the end of the issue. It's a single page where Batman's on top of the thing. And it's uh, got a couple of little panels. But at the end, it discusses, you know, at the end, he was just trying to save the man and somewhere in the distance a child says i'm sorry and it was a good issue wow. and so even back then i i could not tell you sometime in the 80s like comic books were really good stories about heroes and you had good and you had evil and there were so many different things you could work with and relate to and that's that's what got me into comic books all right so let me ask you this as a follow-up Compared to the comics today, do you see that the comics back then and uh, and let me tell you why I'm asking this this question because I have a tr- I have a problem wondering sometimes is it because I'm older and a little more jaded than I used to be when first reading comics and you know the 80s just as you were or have they changed and my question is do you think the comics of the 80s and even into the early 90s compared to the comics today were more story-based and organic as opposed to now it's more corporate slash product placement slash if it's if it's in the movies it's in the comics there's certainly that trend of trying to tie the comic books into what happens in the movies because, I mean, let's face it, the movies are a great face for comic books. And yeah. you're going to have people our age and younger people that are going to be like, man, these guys are great. Superheroes are awesome. I want to read comic books about them. So, yeah, there is that problem i don't know if you can even say it a problem but there is that trend in modern comic books that unfortunately we're just gonna have to deal with but as far as dealing getting stories that are just like impactful and things like that i think we still get those um much like it was back then you've got to have a company that's willing to trust writers and artists in providing a really good product 
sometimes that happened back in the days and sometimes it didn't just like now. I mean, sometimes you've got secret empire. The captain America is a secret Nazi thing. And then sometimes (laughs) you've got, you know, a 12 issue, 12 issue squirrel girl miniseries. (laughs) So it comes and goes, but I don't know. I think there, there are plenty of things going on these days that, that are still representative of how awesome comic books are as a medium. Now I will say that it tends to end up more in the independent guys. Now they are booming with some of the stories they're telling, but you're always going to have great stories in Marvel and DC sooner or later. Good point. Good point. Yes. So guys, uh, we're going to take a quick break and uh, we'll be right back. Hey guys, if you like the Discussing Who podcast, then you might also like our friends over at realitybreached.com. The Reality Breached podcast is all about video games, movies, and a whole lot more. Things tend to get a little weird, so enjoy, subscribe, and tell your friends. For more information, visit realitybreached.com. Okay, guys, we are back, and we're finally going to talk about what we all came here for, uh, Marvel's Iron Fist on Netflix. Um, so I guess, Kyle or any, either one of you guys, can you like give us a quick background of the Iron Fist and what it's all about? Okay, well, let me insert this real quick for anyone listening. You know, Pretty much, if you don't know anything about Iron Fist or if you don't know anything about the TV series on Netflix, just fair warning, potential for, uh, spoilers ahead. Spoilers. 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 And Andy, since you're our guest on, do you, would you like to take... A uh, little bit of the history of Iron Fist. Um, as I'm sure most people have read reviews at this point, um, <laughs> decrying from the social justice warrior mountaintop of the ills and misbegotten <laughs> nature of Iron Fist. Back in the 70s, Danny Rand went on a trip to the Himalayas with his parents, and it didn't go so well. Uh, their business partner, uh, Mr. Meacham, ended up trying to and succeeding in killing both of Danny's parents on a quest to find the mystical city of Kanlan. Danny escapes, gets uh, brought in by the monks of Kunlun, and is trained to be uh, the ultimate warrior, the Iron Fist, um, who is champion of Kunlun, one of the seven mystical cities of heaven. And that's where Danny got his powers. Not only is he a master martial artist, but he fought the dragon Shaolau the Undying, where he plunged his fist into the molten heart of the dragon, gaining the awesome-looking tattoo on his chest and the ability to forge his chi into his fist, unlike unto a thing of iron, as it says in the comic books. Uh, after so many years away of training, he comes back to modern-day New York, and in the comic books... In the first four issues of Marvel Presents that he shows up in, he takes it to Meacham like his direct mission is to kill Meacham. And 
in the comic books, um, if I'm not mistaken, he succeeds. And that is the story of Iron Fist. He's a martial artist superhero um, with a little bit of mystical edge. And uh, he eventually meets his good buddy, Luke Cage. And Iron Fist and Power Man are some of my favorite comic book issues. Wow. And that's pretty much it in a nutshell. I mean, it's, you know, that was 1974. And then I think it was about a couple of years later because Power Man had his own series. And I believe it was um, around issues 47, 48, 49 that they paired um, Iron Fist with him because both, both of their series were not doing very well. They were not selling well individually. And they put those two together, and you know, like Andy said, there there comes the Power Man and Iron Fist uh, teaming, which ironically still is going on today. Which I don't know if you even have to say Power Man is Luke Cage in case <laughs> nobody actually knows that. Which there could be people out there that don't know that, but Luke Cage, uh, back in the day, his superhero name was Power Man. So uh, about those uh, aforementioned uh, review scores uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, um, the Iron Fist currently holds at 18% from the uh, indoctrinated reviewers, but at 82% from the audience. So I don't know if it's telling. So (laughs) just really weird. And it happens a lot with uh, properties that are more. I don't know. I, 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 I really don't get those Rotten Tomato scores sometimes because sometimes it can be a perfectly okay movie, and then sometimes the movie deserves the crap, uh, Batman v Superman. So I, I really don't know how to judge the score because it, it can uh, uh, fluctuate wildly from property to property. All right. But, so, well, let me ask this real quick. Do you think with the Rotten Tomatoes that the people who are reviewing are not – comic book fans because if i'm sitting down and i'm knowing nothing about the history of iron fist and i see this character who is a white male who is supposed to be this um you know in the himalayas is supposed to be this martial arts master would i be not knowing any of what i know would i be thinking okay well you're whitewashing this character a bit and i'm not saying that they're right to think that but do do you guys think that that might be some of their issue? I mean, I don't I don't know if it's that or more so of the people that are watching are real, uh, quote unquote, real movie qu- critics who watch the most excellent things on cinema versus these things that are more for fans and uh, people who like Marvel and like these properties. So from that point of view, it could be just an elite elitism that is uh viewed upon this property from those people that kind of be like oh this this is not as good as it should be you know so i i, I don't know i think it's more of that i mean is and as witnessed by the audience score uh people are enjoying it so i don't know how, how you can even <laughs> gauge these scores here i've been really shocked by some of the the press from the quote-unquote nerd community uh if you are aware of Kevin Smith, his uh, YouTube channel, Fat Man on Batman. Um, <laughs> he did not. He did not. Uh, he was out of the studio that day, but his uh, co-host uh, Mark, who used to write for the LA Times, he gave it a just a scathing, scathing mm-hmm. review. He did not like it at all. Uh, 
comic book resources did not give it a positive review. Um, another nerd site, Nerd Bastards, gave it really bad reviews, and I've seen several YouTube videos just out of morbid curiosity what else they had to say bad about it. Um, but people that you know seem to be supposedly have their pulse on the heartbeat of the comic community just did not like it, and I don't get it. Yeah, and I don't uh, either. I, I just don't get it. Yeah, so do we want to just go around real quick and just give the the short what we think of the series as a whole? Because I think we all have watched the entire entire series. Yep, sure. Go for it, Clarence. I do see some of the criticisms that are levied against the property, but in my opinion, it's kind of a slow burn. It 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 starts off kind of slow, but if you can stick in there. It really, really picks up the end. And I wound up really liking it, whereas I had a lot of skepticism on the front end. Uh, yeah, just overall, I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. it. To me, it falls right in line with the other Marvel properties that are on Netflix right now. And, I, you know, I, I enjoyed it. I had fun with it. Uh, what about you guys? Oh, man, I don't want to get too long-winded. Uh, I enjoyed it. It was – I went into this expecting a certain thing, kind of – almost hoping for a certain thing. I wanted to watch a Danny Rand that was coming back, that was confident, that was, you know, sure of purpose to come right the ship, deal with the Meachums, and then start fighting the hand. And cut up amongst the story would be flashbacks like the David Carradine Kung Fu show <laughs> where we would see Danny Rand in his early days training in Kung Fu where the Thunderer would show up and give some sort of wisdom and a lesson would be learned that would relate to the episode. That's what I was expecting. I kind of figured anybody that had this property and was trying to give an homage to Kung Fu movies and Kung Fu TV shows would throw some of that in, but I didn't get that. And I wasn't disappointed. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with getting something different from what you expect. That's part of what can surprise you and entertain you and get you into the show. Um, I liked Danny Rand's portrayal. Um, I didn't expect them to kind of give him a naivety. But if you really think about it, the kid's been in a monastery in a mystic city for 15 years eating, you know, rice and listening yeah. to sutras. So uh, I kind of take homage to that, though, man, because because Davos didn't seem as naive when we finally got him. Is it Davos or Davos? I, guess, yeah. I don't know. He, he seemed very well uh, attuned to what was going on. <laughs> so yeah. I, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> ahead, I'm sorry. It, no, let me let, 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 let me say something on that real quick. And again, and I don't mean to uh, interrupt you, but I take no. it uh, more from what you just said, Clarence, as being with him. You look at what his purpose was of being there, and we can get into that later. But he had a singular mindset, and ye whereas with Danny, he was so much more trusting. This guy really didn't care. He, as we find out at the end, he's got a purpose, and. I think he was focused on that even from the very first time you saw him. So that, that's my point on that. So Andy, please continue. No, no, that's a good point too. Um, Davos has got his own set of things. Um, and you definitely see that in the final episode, but I don't think we want to get there yet. 
Um, <laughs> my the biggest difference to me was just the constant levels and new revelations of manipulation around oh, Danny Rand, especially man. from the Meachums. Like every new episode was like, man, these people are pure assholes. Yes. I was so sorry for him, man. Jeez. And you could tell he had a good heart, man. It's, it's just like, Oh man, they are taking him for everything that he's worth. And, I mean, it's not too different from something you might see sometimes uh, from people today who are just, you know, if they grew up in a certain part of the country or whatever, and they come to New York or some sprawling metropolis, they, 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 you know, not to put down on them, but you don't know what you don't know. You know what I'm saying? And when you come from a very trusting place, place, and you put into the the pit of snakes, as it were. It's just hard, man, and I feel sorry for, for him at every turn. But I, I think, and you guys may agree with me, the guy that played Ward, Meacham, like, that guy, like, he was a standout character Absolutely. in every episode. Like, yeah. I was really impressed with the different layers. Like, first he's like, oh, this guy isn't Danny. Then, oh, he is Danny. Let's... Yeah mess with him and then you know the secret manipulations behind what's going on at rand affected him but i really liked ward's character arc throughout the whole thing didn't maybe didn't like ward the whole time but uh, <laughs> the character the story arc for him was really really good yeah i have to agree i have to agree so Kyle, your first impressions all right so from first thoughts you know i went into it Obviously, knowing that you had, you know, the bad reviews, the va- the bad press, but, but I honestly went into it not knowing what to expect. And did I get what what uh, I expected? Well, not knowing what to expect, obviously, I, uh, you know, you can go either way with that direction. Did I find that I enjoyed it more by the end than I anticipated that I would? Absolutely. You know, the... The simple back and forth with the characters, you know, there are several things that I liked about Iron Fist that I liked more if I were to compare it with Daredevil. You know, there were several things about his portrayal in this entire arc that I found actually a little bit more believable um, than I found, you know, from watching Daredevil originally. As far as the Meachams go, um, I'm kind of like Andy said, I went back and forth between despising the characters to liking the characters a little bit to feeling sorry for the characters back to dislike, you know, so um, back to Ward also, you know, the guy that played him could look like a maniac at one moment, evil at one moment, or really pathetic, you know, at the other moment and then sympathetic at the, you know, next moment. Um, The guy that played the father um, Andy, I don't know if you do you watch pro wrestling? Uh, a little bit, but not near as much as I used to. All right. So if you uh, then if you have watched it any, then picture this. You take Triple H, Vince McMahon, m- mash them together. <laughs> I get that. And, and that was the uh, Herald. And every oh. time I saw him, I, I saw the two of them m- mashed together. 
Oh, yeah, that's man. not a bad analogy. <laughs> and even the way he kind of acted, I could imagine that if you put uh, Vince McMahon and Triple H together, they might actually the the the, the merger of those two might act like Harold did, perhaps. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> Especially after you think he's out of the picture, but then he's back in the picture and kind of the, the extra mental breakdown, perhaps. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I can see that, man. He's got a lot of McMahon in him at that point. Exactly. So, yeah, that's, that, that's pretty much it. I mean, I, I, I uh, don't regret watching it and really actually ended up enjoying it. Well, what yes. do you guys think about people who've complained about um, the kind of almost the shoehorning in of Claire uh, Rosario? Oh, Austin. man. I, I'll you guys take feel this that first. was organic or not? It, 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 that, this, Claire is my number one complaint about the show. Oh. She did not feel like she fit in one bit. Um, it seemed like they could have took a better stride to, um, I don't know, maybe not ha- pulling her back a little bit and not having so much of her. Maybe only bringing her in when Danny got hurt the the uh when he got stabbed and he needed to be recovered i think that may have been the better point to bring her in because one of the main problems i have with her and i've had with her in most of the other series and it's not not so much in other ones versus this one she knows the daredevil and she doesn't one time say uh she mentions i know friends with superpowers but this dude is in some serious ish and he needs help uh you know, I can make a phone call. Uh, I can bring him in. And I don't know where Dad, Daredevil is at this point um, versus where where he was at the end of uh, Daredevil season two. And, of well, course, Luke, Luke Cage is off somewhere, I believe. And um, Jessica Jones, I don't know. So in, in, I just I just have major problems with her being in this story, man. Well, let me but, say this. I, I have a feeling in a couple of months when Defenders is released, she will pick up that phone and she will uh, make some telephone calls and put the put, I get it. You know, all the yeah. characters together. I, I get it. I get it, man. But I just think she I think they play, overplayed her in this story. I mean, the part where she's there. See, he I'm sorry. The part where Danny is trying to have dinner with Wing and she just like chooses to stay <laughs> in and be nosy. I'm like, oh, get out of there. You just <laughs> you're overstaying your welcome. To me, that was a metaphor for her overstayed welcome in the ser- in the four properties as a whole. Um you know, to me in this one, it just felt a little too much, man. Uh, the, all the other ones, it felt more organic, like you said, Andy. But this one, it just didn't feel right to me. All right, so here's what I would have changed. I agree with what you said. I think that it would have been really cool if she would have come at the end after he had been shot and, you know, patches him, patches him up or staples him up and gives him the shirt and, you know, let that be her one thing. For the other parts where they're doing all the fighting – I think it would have been more appropriate from the Luke Cage story 
uh, line of the people who appeared in it to have brought Misty Knight instead. Oh, I would have loved oh. her. And, <laughs> well, and, in the comic books, they eventually hook up, Danny it, and Misty. So it really? Been okay. And not only that, Colleen and uh, Misty ultimately open up a detective agency. So wow. I think she would have been more appropriate Wow. Than having Claire in, still, you know, you could have brought her in for that one scene, and then that would have linked all four episodes, you know, all four series yeah. together. But I think Misty would have made a lot more. She was more physical. She was the fighter. She was the cop. It would have made a lot yeah. more sense to me to have put Misty as opposed it, to Colleen. And you, and you know what I'm wondering was that not the Colleen original, um, original plan. I'm sorry, and I wonder was that their original plan if for some reason they couldn't bring her in for scheduling with some other, you know, maybe she's doing some other movie or something or TV show. But if you just switch those two out, oh my God, it's so much it's such a better story. And I just think about the fighting scenes and all that. It may it would make so much more sense to me than than uh the way it went. And I think your fandom you send that into <laughs> You should send that into Marvel, man. That's a really good <laughs> twist. Yeah, I mean, I think that would have just been better. I mean, you know, and I think your fans who knew the comics would have latched on to that a lot more than maybe what they did because it would have seen, it would have seemed, excuse me, a little bit more, and we're using that word again, but I'll, because it fits, organic than maybe having too much Claire. Yeah, especially when they go to China. Like, I know she gave. When she gave a good reason to, like, well, if you guys get beat up, I can patch you up. Like, yeah, I'm willing to give you that, but, like, don't you have a job? Like, yes. why why are you getting on a jet and going to China for an indeterminate amount of time? That, yeah, they could have done better. I like the Misty Knight thing, man. That's cool. Yeah, oh, it would have made it so much better. And, and, and uh, just, I, I don't want to harp on it too much, but she's not a great fighter, and she's like, like you mentioned with China, she's like, yep, I'm going too. I'm going. You're not going without me. I'm like, come on. It's reason for Wing to go because Wing is an asset. She can actually do something. But yeah. the fact that you're like pushing yourself upon this this uh, group to go and do stuff, I'm like, no, you're not. As much as I love the actor, I'm like, you're not ready for this. <laughs> her, yeah, her, her couple of times she was involved in a fight seemed did not seem like it would make sense i mean yeah she's got these like ninja claw things on her hands but you know especially when they're trying to capture mal and the big bodyguards come out yeah have been in constant danger or hiding yeah but you know what one of my favorite lines throughout the whole uh you know series that and especially deals with claire was when um they were in the dojo and they had madame gal you know tied the chair and she says you know just by something and i I know this is isn't exactly how she said it but basically just because you're hanging around all these people doesn't make you like them yeah you know that 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 was that was cool to me so uh, I would like to briefly discuss uh, how naive Danny was. I know we mentioned it before, but uh, one of the times I just shook my head is when, you know, of course, we'll go into the Meachams, but the Meachams had him committed and he is about to get out. His three <laughs> days is up. Oh, His, the <laughs> yeah. doctor finally believes he's Danny Rand. And then, Danny, where have you been for the last 15 years? I was in this mystical city of Kung Lao that only appears every so often. <laughs> you had it. It was so close and you blew it. 
I just shook my head in amazement. I'm like, nobody's that naive. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Jeez. Do you hear yourself right now? (laughs) My only defense to that is that he (laughs) did live that. You know, it seems more plausible on the other side of things. Yeah. I, I had that same, like, gut cringe, too, when he did that. I was like, oh, you were so close. Yeah. Oh man, that hurt. Yeah, but that do you hurt. think do you think that again from where he was from that tr- you know No. Uh, okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> the dude just told him if people go in there for three days and wind up wind up in there for fifteen years. So he kinda told him to straighten up and trying to get kinda get his act right so he can get out. And Danny had all but done that. You know, he stopped complaining. And then the, the, the shrink finally believes him and he goes and just blows it up. I don't get it. Now, I will say for the other instances where uh, it was Harold Meacham deceiving him, where it was uh, Bakudo deceiving him, I don't blame him that much because that was very believable. And these are, especially in the case of Harold Meacham, that is a trusted family friend that he at least thought was was uh, a part of his family. So I don't blame him one, one bit for if that's the only person he knows and he's coming back after being gone for 15 years, yeah, you're going to trust them. In the case of Bakudo, Wing, he trusted Wing. Well, I guess I can add Wing to that, too. He trusted Colleen Wing, and, and she deceived him as well as Bakudo. So, you know, those are a little bit more believable. But, you know, some of the times when he was acting naive, I just kind of blame the writing for not for allowing that to get past. I thought they may have thought it was cute, you know, <laughs> but nah, uh, that's not believable. I think the only one that I would put on my gripe list in relation to that is when uh, he's in the, I guess you could call it tournament where he's trying to settle things with Gal and everything. And she's like, I knew your father. And he was like, you knew my father and just like, <laughs> yeah. like just yeah, everything else that goes on. Yeah. Yeah. And, oh. and, and, you know, adding a little bit on top of that, you know, I saw him and this was one of the only things that I didn't like about his character, other than what you guys just were saying was not only did they present him as being, a little bit naive, but they also gave him a sense of, I don't want to say self-righteousness, but also a little, maybe a little self-centered because, you know, I can't get upset for anything that Davos did because here's this guy from an outsider that comes in that becomes the Iron Fist and then says, you know what, I'm out of here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, man. I, 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 <laughs> I agree with that as well, man. It's just like the the writing could have been a little tighter on those aspects, in my opinion. So let's let's let's. Uh, do you want to dig into the Meachins a little bit and talk about how sinister these guys were? I feel I feel sorry for Joy for having to be a part of that family. It's because <laughs> those don't. dudes. Uh, come on, man. Harold is such an evil dude, man. Last episode. That's all I'm going to say. Exactly. Her conversation with Dave, Davos. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah, that was kind of shocking. Get a pass. But, but, you know, I think that was a result of the journey she had over the course of the show. 
And I don't forgive it one bit because she shouldn't be doing that. But that was a result of her journey of she, her dad has been dead for years. And she found out he's alive through some mysterious process by the hand. What? So I, <laughs> I can't blame her too much for maybe having a different outlook on life by the end of this thing. But yeah, those, those are just some sinister characters, man. And like you said, the progression of Ward... I I agree. I have to give it to you for his performance because, man, I felt every moment of his tension and of his reluctance to follow follow what his dad has thrown on him, uh, as as well as uh, the whole other dynamic of his dad not being able to die and he's thinking he's rid rid himself of his dad. And man, he really had a hard time. In the moments that you think he's like about to escape from it all, like you almost feel relieved for him. Like all he wants is out of this nonsense and he comes close a couple of times, but he can't get away from what his father is doing and has done. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You you, you know, I'm sitting here and I'm listening to you refer to the Meachams as, you know, evil and dastardly and, you know, all the things that they've done. At the beginning, you know, at that first arc, uh, mini arc, where it's is Danny Danny and no, he's not. And, you know, we're not giving you anything. Absolutely. I actually saw both the, you know, Joy and Ward as bad guys. You know, they were they were they were the villains in my mind at that point, especially when, you know, they had him committed, you know, I immediately disliked Ward. I, I, I saw Joy as this, um, you know, she was she getting pulled along. Yeah, she was just being kind of pulled along, but he was the big evil of the show, so to speak. And as it, as it went along, you know, I, and I'm not saying or anything about what she does at the end, but, you know, I, I don't necessarily see Ward as bad. Did he do bad things? Absolutely. Did he do things that he should not have? Absolutely. But he has a maniacal father that cannot die pointing him in the those directions, and he's being watched 24-7 by this maniacal father that cannot die. And, you know, I don't know uh, if I can actually say that he's that bad under those circumstances. Did anybody else enjoy the moment where he just has like a, I'm not doing what you say. And then like flips off his whole office. Cause he knows. <laughs> that was great. That was great. <laughs> oh man. That's what dreams are made of. That was yeah. a great scene. <laughs> okay. So I've got to say this that at the very beginning, even when the, well, actually when the father did come back, I mean, just for a second. And this was before I started seeing some slimmer of, of repentance or of hope for the children, you know, I'm seeing the, the father and the children and not trying to be political here, but they reminded me of the Trumps for a second. I I saw them (laughs) as like, okay, that's Donald and that's the children. Well, I kind of believe, um, Harold was the, the kind of allegory to what, um, Danny and Davos are, uh, versus um, as it relates to them believing the hand is bad, you know, it's just something that's ingrained in them and it's what they think, how they feel is permeates through their being. 
I kind of felt felt the same way a little bit with Ward. You know, he's just going to do what his dad says because he believes his dad is right in most cases. Well, I don't even know if he believes he's right, but he's just going to do it anyway, you know, <laughs> because it's his dad. And it's kind of the same way we see with Danny and the hand, you know, the hand and uh, Kung Lao. He kind of gets to the point where, especially with Colleen in the mix, is his view of the hand really the right view? Um and so I, I think that's that's a, a good comparison to how uh, the kind of the kind of struggles we have in the show of what do you believe in how you believe it and whether it's true or not or it's just your interpretation of, of what you see. Let's talk about the fighting. <laughs> I guess that's okay. a big one. Jessica Jones, she didn't really have to do a lot of fight in her series, although she's ultra strong and all the stuff she did to me was believable. Uh, Luke Cage, again, ultra strong, can't, bullets can't hurt him. You know, he's kind of a tank. Believable, for the most part. Daredevil, this dude can fight his butt off, or at least his stunt, stunt people can fight their butt off. Man, I, I, until the second half of this seri- series, I really didn't feel it. I didn't feel it in the first half. The fighting, to me, was a, the, one of the other big letdowns of the series. How do you guys feel about the fighting of Iron Fist? Andy, go for it, because I, I, I've got a good rebuttal, so go for it. Okay. Uh, I've got a couple of things to say about it, actually. Um, something that, like I said earlier, I was looking at a few different people discuss the movie and how they, I mean, the show and how they felt about it. Somebody had brought up that uh, the guy that played Danny Rand, his name is Finn? Finn Jones, yes. Finn Jones. Um some of these fights, he learned them 15 minutes before they shot it. Oh, God. And, the, you know, so the guy was only given so much time to learn these things. And in the light of that, and, of course, this is after the fact. Um, before I found that out, I enjoyed the fighting, um, and I'll get to why in a second. But knowing that the guy wasn't really given the same chance as the guys in daredevil. I mean, the guys in daredevil, they practice those hallway fights that are so infamous for months to get the timing down and the spacing and everything. Um, but Finn Jones wasn't given that chance. Hopefully if there's a season two, we'll get the opportunity to see a better trained iron fist. I know you shouldn't have to have that because he's already a master fighter. But hopefully <laughs> in season two, we'll get to see a better fighting Danny Rand. Now, going back to my other point I wanted to make, I am a martial arts junkie. Um, I have a black belt in uh, Tamiki Ryu Aikido. And they're, they're dealing with somebody, and they bring it up even in the, the little fight he has with the guards to get into the thing. You're dealing with a guy that is using a kung fu style that's very internal, not a lot of strong strikes or anything like that. There's avoidance. Um, you don't have to put a lot of strength into an attack in a, a more internal form as far as an external like hard fighting like Daredevil does. So he, he misses that too uh, when he was trying to train Colleen for a little bit. Yeah, and that's what I appreciated. You've got a different sensibility of the fighting in Iron Fist than you do in Daredevil. Daredevil has 
got some serious injury issues, <laughs> and he likes to put on a devil costume and go beat the hell out of people in hell. <laughs> catharsis on that. Good for him. But with Danny Rand, he has the training to where he's got more precision. He doesn't have to give these big haymaker things and a lot of stuff, and he can avoid and throw people and joint lock them up or, you know, punch them once and you're done kind of thing. And I think the fighting throughout most of the show does a decent job of trying to reflect that idea. Do I wish that some of the fights were better? Yeah. Um, Danny Rand spent 15 years and they show it and talk about yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Kicked in Kun Lun to get to the point where he's a candidate to fight a dragon there should be very few instances in the show of him struggling and fighting. But could and, the struggling and fight, I don't mean to interrupt, but could the struggling and fighting be the product of internal conflict as Madame Gao made light of, and I think even Bakudo made light of, as opposed to the style itself? Could it be all that was going on with him made the offness so to speak sure and in some things they actually make that a part of the story when he goes into the uh the tournament where he fights the uh woman with needles and he fights the two russian guys and things like that you've got that conflict you know he's dealing with what's going on with gal and the other things and he does get beat around you see that. Um, but then there's other times where he's fighting with Davos at the hand compound, and they're just straight up kicking ass. That's great. But there are some times where you get the feeling that he shouldn't be struggling as much as he was. That's my opinion. Um, but what do you think, Kyle? All right. So back to what, but what uh, you know, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. But back to what Clarence said about his uh, fighting style and not and comparison to Daredevil and Daredevil was you know uh, so much different. I found his fighting for me much more believable than I did watching Daredevil because my problem with watching Daredevil was twofold. First part being everything seemed to always be so dark. And, you know, it was, I don't know if that was intentional, but with it seemingly so dark, it was sometimes hard to see some of the moves going on because of the, the way they, you know, did the lighting. On the flip side, the other thing that I didn't like about the Daredevil um, fighting, yes, it was more aggressive. Yes, it was more physical, you know, as in, you know, aggressive type of striking, but he for lack of the better word, really messed himself up, um, you know, physically, whereas in, then he has to go, Matt has to go out and appear before people and then try to explain, why are you, you know, so beat up uh, like this? So I, I had no problem with the fighting. I think I thought it looked fine. Um, you know, I'm not a martial arts um you know, I, I, I'm not big into the martial arts movies or anything like that, usually. So, you know, I come from a just watching it as a comic book fan. But me personally, I had no problem with it. I thought it was good. Yeah, and I, I will agree with you about the lighting, too, because you got to think in Daredevil, he's wearing a mask most of the time, or at least something on his head. We're, we're here, we're seeing 
Danny in no costume 90% of the time. Of course, they did things like try to obfuscate it, like darker lighting in rooms and, and things like that. But yeah, most of the fighting, it has to be somebody that looks almost like him or him. So I do give give him a little bit of slack in that regard. Here's an interesting little addition to that conversation. Was there enough Iron Fist or was there too <laughs> little Iron Fist? You know, he only uses he uses it very sparingly and you would figure... Now, I will, before I finish that sentence, they do say, state that he did not complete all of his training. And then through the show, he learns a few things about being an Iron Fist. But yeah. you would figure to a certain degree, he can at least figure out how to make his fist glow and punch through things. <laughs> do you guys think that he used it too much or didn't use it enough? Um. From seeing that one flashback sequence that Bakudo showed of the previous Iron Fist <laughs> with both fists glowing, I was like, what the what? This dude was jumping, flipping, just murdering with both Iron Fists, which was new to me because I didn't realize that both fists could glow. So is that something that's unique to this show or the comic, or is, is it supposed to be both fists? Can I, do you guys know that? <laughs> In the comic book, he, he can and does use both right. fists. Yes, it's interesting. Yeah, so I, I I don't I don't know, man. Uh, I enjoy what we saw, but it was almost like the fist, the, him utilizing the iron fist was also a coming of age part of the show, you know, or, or not coming of age, not the word I'm going to use, uh, something uh, origins part of the show, seeing him being able to use those powers by the end of it, which, you know, which really, really makes me mad because he states several times in, in, in forcefully, I am the iron fist. So, okay, you are the iron fist. Why can't you do what you're supposed to do? I am a weapon. Okay. You can barely use your weapon. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think there was enough of it in my, my opinion, because even I think him utilizing the iron fist more would have, alleviated from some of the fighting sequences that we saw because you know you get to see him being a, a bit more of a bad a <laughs> rather than trying to just beat his way through everything so kyle well you know i'm 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 listening to you guys and i'm thinking back even with the other heroes that that we've had and, and if you think about it with danny his power is the only visual power and what i mean by that yes you can um shoot um luke with bullets and you know look like they're bouncing off or you know have the shirt torn with bullet holes and you can have jessica lifting something or being shot herself you can have daredevil you know look like he's hearing something that he shouldn't all of those visuals can be done without any you know special effect lighting or post cgi and i Mm. say that simply because from a budgetary standpoint, maybe that might have been all that they could on the budget that they had. They only had so many sequences of the hand, not, well, the hand hand, but, you know, of the pun iron intended. fist. And, <laughs> yeah, you know, no, no pun intended. But, you know, there was only so many sequences. If they only had 12 sequences over 13 episodes or what, you had to strategically decide, when am I going to show the hand or the fist? Excuse me. <laughs> So uh, speaking of the hand, why don't we get into, I want to get into the hand. Uh, 
Colleen Wing and also um, Madam Gao, uh, all of those and kind of, kind of just talk about those together and um, what we thought of that as a whole. Um, anyone? All right. Well, let me say this. I love- I le- okay, go for it, because I think we were saying the same thing. Go for it. I love Gal. <laughs> That's what I yeah. was going to say. But I I'll love Gal, too. I, just want to throw in, I love Gal. Yeah, go for it, because I, I, I want to hear what you thought. I have been waiting for Iron Fist ever since season one of Daredevil, where um, the last few episodes, she has that last meeting with Fisk, and Fisk asks, where are you going? And she says, further than you can imagine. Um, that was the tidbit. That and the emblem on the drugs, I knew that that was yeah. in the comic books. It was the symbol of Davos in the comic book. So I was, you know, even that far back, I have been waiting for Iron Fist. Um, everything Gal was in season one of Iron Fist, I enjoyed She's whoever they picked, um, whoever she is, it could not have been a better choice for this Asian matriarch, (laughs) criminal, you know, I don't know. She's just this strange mystical element of the hand that I can't get enough of. I would actually watch a miniseries about Gal. Yeah, Um, yeah. One of the things before I watched the show... And Kyle, um, you can probably comment on this. Um, I honestly thought she was from Kunlun in some form or fashion by her statement from season one of Daredevil. And I almost, well, she said that she was going further than you could imagine. So I assumed, and in the comic books, they discuss this and I'm sure they'll mention it, um, in season two of Iron Fist or maybe in the Daredevil there are secret entrances in and out of Kun Lun, so you don't have to wait for the main portal to open every 15 years. So I thought Gal may have been from Kun Lun, and my like bet with myself before the show started is I honestly thought she may have either been uh, a previous Wan T, which is the leader of Kun Lun, or the current Wan T, um, in the comic books, it turns out that one of the Wan T's is like a criminal and dealing with drugs and doing other things. And they have to, you know, uh, kick him out of his spot with Kung Fu. <laughs> <laughs> so that's I was like, that would be so awesome if that's who Gal is. And at some point, you know, Danny goes back to Kun Lun and Gal's there. She like takes off the mask of Wan T and it's Gal. It was really <laughs> for that. But that didn't happen. But uh Now didn't she mention uh, that she knew some things about Kung Lun? It sounded what? like she had been there from what I was gathering. Yeah, so I was expecting it, but um I never got that. But every scene gal was in in my opinion she stole the scene oh absolutely absolutely and and you know she makes a statement that she was around in the 17th century so she's hundreds of years old yeah um but yeah i i thought she stole every scene and and the simple fact of everyone that danny is relying on is lying to him and you have this person who is obviously you know not a very good person who is the only one who's not telling you 
you know, a single lie. Everything she's saying is the truth. You may not like what you're hearing, but it's the truth. Well, I mean, I think we can even relate in our own lives. The truth can be as harmful a weapon as a lie. Absolutely. And Gal's really good at using truth to do that. Well, you know, her entire thing is, you know, information. Look at even with the hand, and I know she wasn't directly involved, but the... um, you know, you know all the TV and the not the TV, but the surveillance that they had on pretty much all these different people and ways that they could, you know, surveil you. I mean, information is power. Yeah, agreed, agreed. I thought it was great, and I don't know if this it, this is in line with the comic books, but I thought they did a really, really good job of showing that the Rand company had bad things happening at the company. You know, this drug trade is, is basically running through the heart of the Rand corporation. And I thought the showrunners did a really good job of making it all tie in and make a lot of sense. Well, the simple fact that they're on the 13th floor, I mean, you know, that right (laughs) there is you've got, you've got the entire business of the people that you're originally hunting their headquarters is in your building on a mysterious unknown floor yeah and again they kind of brought it in and it made sense because uh bakudo was trying to get in and get these ties as well by the end of the episode and i don't see this is a little part i was confused on because i thought madame gal was actually running the uh business through the Rand company but then you have bakudo over here with his own operation doing something similar. And I don't know if I really got a distinct tie of what those, how those actually interact with each other. Uh, Just one of the things that were kind of ambiguous to me uh, in the series. Well, I know from uh, reading about Colleen's backstory, and I think they, instead of trying to muddy the water, they, uh, and actually made an inside joke on this. And she was not, now, Andy, correct me if I'm wrong here, but she was not connected, per se, with the hand. She was connected with an offshoot of the hand called the nail. And I think they made that joke <laughs> uh, in there saying, you know, you know, why has it got to be the hand? Why can't it be the foot or whatever? I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Danny yeah. That did. Oh, one of my favorite co- quotes of the whole series. Uh, I think Danny said, that's your story. She's the bad hand and you're the good hand. <laughs> I do like I do like that they, you know, made the hand a little more complicated. And I know a lot of people gave it grief online. It's like, man, how do you how do you go from having cool ninja assassins to a bunch of teenagers with attitude? And I think they were throwing some shade <laughs> at Power Rangers when they said that. But I like that idea. You don't I mean, how do you convince people to to join a shadowy assassin organization you don't do like in the first ninja turtle movie and just let them hang out at your arcade and teach them ninjutsu you kind of indoctrinate them into a cult and when they're when they're in this particular kind of idea where they're willing to you know not only learn martial arts but like stick with each other i mean that's a pretty good way to build a ninja army i don't you know, yeah. I don't know much about building ninja armies, or I probably would not be on the <laughs> podcast. I'd be doing that. 
But that's a pretty decent way, I thought. Either that or this is your cover to make people think. And the fact that you just said that you weren't building a ninja army says that, well, you know, he just said it in public uh, podcast that he wasn't. So obviously he's not doing it. (laughs) Well, I guess the only way to know for sure is if my handprint and a message is outside one of your windows. (laughs) Good point. (laughs) Good point. Uh. Like another thing, man, I found it extremely uh, funny that Danny was like um, chastising Wing about her being in a possible cult when he came from Kung Lao, when he pretty much was taught the opposite end of the spectrum, which I thought pretty much looked like a cult to me for the most part. I mean, they weren't <laughs> killing people, but hey. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, no, you're right. Considering the fact that they're saying that, you know, to protect the the gateway, if somebody's trying to break into the gateway and is not taking no for an answer, uh, you're going to have to kill them. So there you go. And we see the after effects of that very thing in the final episode. Exactly. You know, that that's the end result. But. Yeah. So, guys, I just want to mention a few other things that kind of were weird about the series to me, and we can kind of wrap, begin to wrap things up and give our final thoughts. But Danny's obsession with the peer, he had no reason to have that obsession with the peer, and it kind of really ticked me off how they made that the center focus of his first thing to do as he became part of the Rand Company again is to investigate the peer. First of all, he didn't seem like he was intelli- intelligent enough to figure <laughs> out through looking at the books what was actually going on. So I'm like, yeah, okay, I guess I'll go with this. And it just felt really, really weird and out of place. We needed it for the story, of course, but it really made no sense. Um, the whole China trip, like we talked about it already. Um, how the heck do they go to China, infiltrate Gao's facilities, and bring her all the way back to America? Of course, they had a private jet, so that's probably a big reason. But still, it seems highly, highly, highly unlikely that that would ever happen in any circumstance. I don't know. Well, my, uh, my first question with that is when they did the jet thing, like, that was the same episode where uh, Joy and Ward kicked and so had Danny been like removed. I mean, he still had all his shares and sure he was a billionaire, but you wouldn't think he would have been able to walk up and be like, I need to borrow the corporate jet for a weekend in China. Because they don't even let him into the building, you know? Yeah, yeah, agreed. (laughs) That's a good point. I didn't realize that. But you're totally right. You're totally right. And I... Yeah, I, I think that's pretty much all I have. Oh, yeah, yeah. Madam Gal and her powers. At the end of Danny's trial, is right right at the moment he was going to go for Madam Gal. Madam Gal uses some Jedi force push and pushes him up against the wall. She doesn't do that anymore in the series. And I'm like, okay, are you just not using it or you can only use it once a year or what happened? Uh, it just seemed out of place that she could do it that one time and couldn't do it anymore, uh, considering how much danger she was in throughout the rest of the series. Yeah, but you have to think about it in the fortune cookie kind of stability. Did she need to use it again? Maybe she was where she wanted to be each time. <sighs> oh, gal and her mind games. <laughs> I mean, I know that. I mean, I, I will totally understand anybody that says, well, that's that's crappy writing, man. I get your thing. But at the same time, you know, you also have to consider character motivations. And, you know, maybe she wanted to be there. There's no better way of finding out where your enemy's got a arm, 
you know, armed stronghold full of ninja teenage assassins than being brought to where the stronghold is. Yeah, I, I, I can agree with that. And you obviously see that she comes out on top in the end, so... I do want to address one thing that's kind of the elephant in the room and the major problem with the the show online is the idea that people think that the way the story was in the 70s with potential cultural appropriation of having a white guy learn kung fu and be the master of kung fu in a city full of Asians. What do you guys think about the nature of cultural appropriation in things? And do you guys think if do you guys think if Danny Rand should have been an Asian American or should they have stuck with the white guy thing or does it even really matter? Yeah, I, I do agree. It has been getting a bunch of um, negative response because of the whole white savior thing that they're trying to <laughs> thrust upon this property, which, yeah. you know what? What is the original property that we're basing this off of? I mean, sure. Does it have some connotations of the time in which it was created? Probably so. Is that a bad thing? I don't think so. Could 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 Luke Cage have easily not been a, a black person? And we've had we've had a discussion about this on discussing who, I forgot which episode number. We kind of talk about what happens when you change the gender or race. Uh, uh, episode ten, and then Luke Cage was at episode twenty, I think. Yeah. So I mean, we've kind of tackled this, but personally, I don't see any reason in this particular case why you have to change it. You know, if that's the story, that's the story. If there's no, no outward, um, no just blatant inference of some type of racism of any or anything like that, you know, I think it's okay. Could this just as well work if it was an Asian person going to Asia <laughs> and their plane crashes and he comes back? Probably, but, but by the same token, it may have not had the same effect. Because I think what makes the story is Danny being a fish out of water, going over there and being there for 15 years, coming back and trying to reclaim his life. So, that, uh, of course, again, that could happen if it was an Asian American or any other type of American uh, race of American going over there. But, you know, I don't see any reason here to de- deviate from the storyline. And it, it works, you know. Um it's believable to me that whole somebody going over there and being stranded with that type of money. Yeah, it, it's believable. And I, there's no reason to change the story. So Kyle, what do you think? All right. So I'm going to pretty much piggyback off of what you just said. If I were to take the four core um, defenders in this version, that's going to be in the upcoming defender series. And I take those four characters and I cut it down the middle and you got 50, 50, if I put Jessica on one side and I put uh, Matt Murdock on the other, and on the flip to that, I put uh, Luke and I put Danny on the other. To, for me, whether or not, uh, you know, what the race of Jessica, what the race of uh, Matt is, is inconsequential, in my opinion, to the overall character of daredevil or the character of jessica jones the flip to that is there are elements in the story for both iron fist 
as well as for Luke Cage that, and and again, my opinion, require that certain actor be either um, African-American or that uh, certain character not be Asian or not be African-American or not be fill in the blank. So, you know, I think if you are true to the story and this particular story of Iron Fist out of Marvel Comics is based off of comics that came out of the 70s where the story dictated this preset set of facts. So, you know, I I think they were right to go the route that they did. Um, I I agree with both you guys. Uh, I mean, in the same vein, nobody's mad at Jean-Claude Van Damme for Bloodsport, where he learns ninjutsu and wins a tournament. Uh, Nobody's mad at Chuck Norris for learning karate and being Chuck Norris. They're both white guys. Nobody's, to put it in a comic book spin, nobody's mad at Bruce Wayne for learning ninjutsu (laughs) from a bunch of Asians and then kicking all their butts and going off to be Batman. So, I don't know. Um, Art it goes back to what Kyle was saying, you know, the story fits and it works with these specific set of conditions. I can't, I don't think Luke Cage would have been the story it was in the show or in the comic books. If he had been a different race and that's not just for how they show inner city life at times, but Harlem itself in that show and I think you guys might or might not agree with me, is a character in that definitely, show. Definitely, man. And the only, the best way to tell that character's story in Luke Cage is to have an African-American or maybe even a Latino-American in there, but mainly an African-American. And I think yeah. that's what the story needed, and that's that's what made it what it was. Um, I have said multiple times, uh, it doesn't matter, you know, the race of the character, as long as the story fits. Miles Morales right now is a way better Spider-Man to me than Peter Parker is in his comic book. By far, there's just something about that kid in his experiences, in his struggles, that makes him the essence of what we feel when we think of Spider-Man. And they're doing a way better job with Miles Morales. All right, but you know what? Let me let me comment on something that you just said about Miles. Miles is not a character that is well. He's from another Earth, which yes, he is. But he's he's from another Earth where he's the Peter Parker from another Earth that just so happened to be you know half uh, you know half Puerto Rican and half black. With Miles, his his character spun to make him his own character. And I think that's, you know, he's not just a carbon copy. He's his own character. And I, that's, right. that's what I like most about him. Yeah. The death of Peter Parker in his universe is part of what inspired him to pick up the mantle of Spider-Man. He had the great power. And so he felt he had the responsibility to use what he had to be the next Spider-Man and make the world a better place. But yeah, um, I think it just comes down to writing and wanting. I understand people want representation and they want to see themselves in the movies. That's why things like Star Trek 
even back in the 60s were so awesome you could turn into that show and in some way shape or form you could see somebody that you identified with in the show and i want to see that in comic books and i think we're getting to that point um but at the same time the you've got people that are writing the stories and sometimes creating new characters like in the new marvel um the current iron man is a um african-american woman the new current thor while the real thor is off doing stuff in space the current thor (laughs) is a woman you know so you can have people that take up the mantle or run with the ball and do their own thing and make these characters their own um gay or straight you know white black asian whatever um it's just it's all about good writing and good storytelling and totally agree man totally agree people should be along for the ride for that and just see where it takes them all right so before we wrap two things that i didn't mention earlier that i wanted to mention before we wrap which is back to um back to some of the um meachums with when when um joy finds out that her father is alive I noticed that there were so many scenes where it was just her and her father. And we've right before she finds out, we see that, you know, her father killed someone. And that whole time I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, okay, is is she about to get killed? Is he fixing to attack her? What's the, you know, so they really, in my opinion, built that suspense really well. So that, that was my first point. The other point that I wanted to make was at the beginning where you've got uh, Danny locked in the mental institution. Back in the 80s, I um, became obsessed with a story about a woman named Anna, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> about a woman named Anna Anderson. And she was this woman who was trying to prove that she was this long dead um grand duchess of the last russian royal family that was killed back in the early 1900s and that whole analogy when they were going with danny of not having any records and not having you know the dental records and not having this i'm like oh okay this reminds me of anastasia and I was like, okay, that's that's really cool because I was so obsessed with that story and seeing those mirrored and peppered throughout. I was like, okay, did they, you know, take some of that element and put that in there? That's if if so, that was really cool. I think they did a good job with that. Something that the comic books didn't do. I mean, when Danny Rand comes back, they're like, oh, it's Danny Rand back from the dead. <laughs> You know, the show plays the skeptic on this and the whole little thing of when they give the bolt, when Joy gives the bowl to Danny and then it turns out he's got a fingerprint on it. That was, oh, that was good. Genius to, you know, create something that would prove that he was who he said he was. Right. Yeah. Totally agreed on that. And, and, uh, you know, I'm for the next season or I hope. Or at least in Defenders, I hope we get to see more Wing, because uh, uh, I forget the yeah. actor's real name, because I adored her in this series. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was by far my favorite character, man, and anything in her with her in it, I'll watch, because she, she's great. I mean, the martial arts as well as the acting, I, I really, really enjoyed her in this series. I think Iron Fist is the only show that has really dealt with the development of 
two characters throughout the season. I mean, you don't really have that. You get some ideas about why Froggy is who he is, or in Jessica Jones, why the lawyer woman is who she is or who her friend is. But, I mean, Colleen's story, what she goes through from beginning to end is almost like part, you know, a second show in of itself. I really dug that. I was just uh, her and Danny were coming from opposite sides of the spectrum, and we got to see them both develop uh, into what they became by the end of the series, and it was great, man. I loved it. Now we did mm-hmm. see some development with Misty, you know, um, not as much as Colleen, but you did see some growth and some backstory into Missy, Misty. Excuse me, I'm 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 diverting and converting and whatever back to uh, Doctor Who about saying Missy, but Misty. <laughs> oh, you know who I am. I'm Missy. Who's Missy? Please try to keep up. Yeah, you know, we saw a little bit in uh, Luke Cage, but not to the level we did with Colleen, no. And I would totally love to see more Missy Knight in in season two of Luke Cage. Um, I mean, she she was one of my favorite characters for most of that. I kind of liked her in some episodes more than I did Luke Cage, so... And I've oh, always yeah. loved Misty Knight. The whole Heroes for Hire comic <laughs> book. I like. I can't wait for her to get her robot arm. Me too. <laughs> and, and hopefully she'll get it because you know she got shot really bad at the end of Luke Cage. So I was like, okay, her her arms hurt, so she's going to get the arm yeah, now. Well, oh, dude, yeah. When they belt it up, like you know, you may have nerve damage, and if you strain it too much, like that uh that artery in your arm could deteriorate and you might lose it anyway and i was like yes, yes but yes lose you your know, arm he's got a replacement <laughs> and thank god clara temple was there to help exactly <laughs> <laughs> so guys uh we're getting ready to wrap uh andy man thank you for coming on absolutely man. i enjoyed it your vast knowledge of comics is always great and man we, i just love having you on and you're welcome to come on anytime you want so tell us about anything you're working on, man, and anything else you have to say. Well, man, I have really enjoyed it, you guys. I've enjoyed talking to you guys. As anybody who loves comic books, it's always fun to talk shop, as they say. And uh, <laughs> I, I have enjoyed talking with you guys. Uh, I guess the only other thing I would say is I do a blog called The Nerd Storian, where I talk about comics and gaming and Warhammer 40K and Age of Sigmar <laughs> specifically, but I do try and throw some movie reviews and comic stuff in there and uh, check it out. And I will be back whenever you guys invite me because I have thoroughly enjoyed tonight. Thank you. Well, well, I think uh, I speak for both of us uh, when I say I know we enjoyed it. So uh, you're Definitely. welcome back anytime. So, Kyle, is it anything uh, you're working on that you want to plug here or um... – well, Anything I you know I know up? well I know uh, you know upcoming um, you know Andy I know there is a Hattiesburg um, Geek Fest coming up in May. Are you going to that? Oh yes, and I'm going to Mississippi Comic Con too because two of the original Power Rangers are going to be there, and I have to meet them. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> well, you know maybe at one of the uh, one of the two of uh, one of the two events, either the. Hattiesburg Comic Con or the you know the Mississippi Comic Con or it's not a Hattiesburg Comic Con it's the uh, Southern Geek Fest um, in Hattiesburg but the you know the Mississippi Comic Con we could all meet up and do a live episode or something. Sure. 
Cool. Sounds good, man. Sounds good. But no, I'm not working on anything other than we've got Doctor Who starting in a couple of weeks. And, you know, we'll be doing something, unless something changes, we'll be doing weekly Doctor Who reviews. So that's coming up sooner than we know. I'm going to miss Peter Capaldi. Oh, man. Oh, I didn't know you watched Who, man. I, I, I keep track of it, and I do watch episodes. I'm... You guys are certainly the experts, so I, I bow and move slightly backwards in uh, in awe of your your Hoovian knowledge. But uh, but Peter Capaldi uh, was a really good Doctor Who, and I've enjoyed his run. So it's going to be a shame to see him go. Yeah, I'll miss him as well. So, so Clarence, uh, what are you working on? Oh, thanks for asking, yeah. Cal. Uh, <laughs> Uh, well, nothing major. Just uh, as usual, you can go to techpedition.com and check out our latest podcast. We kind of talk about the backstory of Mass Effect and kind of briefly go into the new game, though it wasn't out at the time of the podcast. So, yeah, if you want to just hear a little of the backstory about Mass Effect 1, 2, and 3, please check out that podcast. Uh, that's at techpedition.com. And so, Kyle, do you want to tell people where they can actually get more of the Discussing Who uh, on the social medias, as it were? Sure. Um, they can find us, of course, at um, DiscussingWho.com. And you can also find us on Facebook at Facebook.com backslash DiscussingWho. And then, of course, at Twitter at, guess what, DiscussingWho. And subscribe on iTunes. And if you would, you know, send some feedback on iTunes. Leave us um rating on iTunes, not that we get any money from that. What we're actually wanting is exposure. And the more uh, feedback we get on iTunes, the more chance of exposure that we get. And so if you can, we would definitely appreciate it. Awesome. Again, guys, just check out Lee's Relativity Patreon. That's patreon.com slash relativity. And uh, yeah, uh, Andy, again, it's great to have you on. And yeah, anytime, you're welcome on, man. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. So for Cal, myself, and Andy, uh, I guess we are out of here. You've been listening to the Discussing Who podcast. Discussing Who is made by fans for fans. No copyright infringement is intended. Show us your fans of the show by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter. You can find us on the web at www.discussingwho.com. Want more Discussing Who? Find us on iTunes, Google Play Music, Player FM, the Doctor Who Podshock Alliance, and more. Send us your feedback to discussingwho at gmail.com, or if you'd like, simply record a voice message and send that to us via your smartphone, tablet, or computer. We want to hear from you.